be seated. I'm so thrilled. Uh, I know that sounds like hyperbole, but I really am happy to see my church family today. And um, I'm going, I'm going, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, paper, since my kids have the iPad <laughs> on vacation and they're out of town. And uh, I know that um, we are starting this series, we started this series on apologetics, and I also know that there are young ones here, but listen, kids, I have some cool videos that are going to explain what I'm talking about today, like videos about how to catch a monkey, okay, and uh, clips from Willy Wonka, and that's not to be kind of, you know, um, gimmicky. Um, I really think that media, the let me rephrase that. I really think that a good story speaks about universal truths. Universal truths. A good story will speak about... And last Sunday, I actually talked about that. So, um, you know, when we started this series, when we were planning for this series, that we wanted to do an apologetics in deep summer at the same time when all of our families are um, traveling and we're doing family service, somehow I have to translate apologetics to... People of all ages, people, grown adults, but also small children. And you know what? What a wonderful discipline. If I'm able to con communicate and convey complex truths to our youngest in our congregation, I think I've done my job well. So today I'm going to talk about sin. <laughs> and we've been talking about apologetics, and today uh, the topic that I want to defend, because apologetics are about explaining and defending our faith. What I want to defend is not so much the existence of sin. One theologian has said that sin is the one empirically verifiable doctrine. In other words, all you have to do is read the newspaper, look out in the world. I don't think that there is anyone among us or in the world for that matter that doesn't believe sin is a thing. Sin is a real thing, um, wrongdoing, man's harm to man's evil done to man. This is something that is, um, you know, something that we can just prove by observation. So no, I don't need to give an apologetic for sin. Um, instead, what I want to give today is an apologetic for how the Bible deals with sin. People don't like Christianity oftentimes because they say uh, it creates guilt. If you speak to a postmodern audience, they'll say Christianity creates neurosis, complex. Here's the thing. Um, I don't think Christianity has had a good defense of sin. I don't think there's been a good apologetic or a good explanation for how sin works. And therefore, we're more inclined as postmodern people to listen to Freud or to listen to, you know, um, what atheists like Richard Dawkins, you know, commonly say, you know, about Christianity. It, it creates complexes and neuroses. Well, today I'd like to give an apologetic about how Christianity real, really deals with sin. I don't know if it'll help our case, but I'll do my best. I'm going to talk about sin in three ways. How to deal with our sin. How the Bible deals with our sin. An apologetic about how the Bible deals with our sin. And um, three answers to that. And they are progressive. And so the first answer to how the Bible deals with our sin. How does the Bible address our sinfulness? The first and most important thing is the Bible gives us a choice. What God, of, the God of Christianity gives to us and gives to the world 
is a choice, or maybe I should say consequence. And you can see this clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, which I'm going to read. All throughout the Bible, um, we see God offering the Israelites and offering Christians as well. Look, you have a choice. Choose, and in the end, I can't tell you what to do. Freedom, I think, is built into the essence of the way the world works. Freedom is built into the way, uh, I mean, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, I was just reading about this, it's so interesting that even evolution, um, you know, I'm not going to dive too deep into evolution now, but evolution itself is, is almost a reflection that God says to creation, you have a freedom, you have a freedom to evolve and to create, to, to become a freedom. Even in economics, there is, you know, we've, we can tell now after at least a century of history that the best market that works is the free market. Communism has never really successfully, uh, has never successfully worked. Freedom is an essential part of our existence. Freedom. And we can see that here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, where God, uh, through Moses, speaks to the Israelites. So Moses is talking to the Israelites, and he says, look, we're about to enter into the promised land. When you enter into the promised land, I will be gone. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Right? So, Am I going to constrain you? Am I going to tell you how to live your lives? I'm going to give you a choice. And this is what Moses does. In verse 15, he says, See, I'm setting before you today a choice. On the one hand, life and prosperity. On the other hand, death and adversity. And so I command you today, love the Lord your God to walk in His ways and keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. I know that it sounds heavy. He's commanding them. Commanding them. He's taking away their choice. Not really. He's speaking to them as forcefully as He can. He's saying, because in the end, He knows that they are a disobedient people. Whether He commands them or not, they're going to choose good or bad. So children, how many of you have done good this week, and you've listened to mommy. I know it's summer. Every day I call my uh, family. They're in Virginia visiting with my in-laws, and I ask the children, have you been obedient? Have you been listening to mommy? And I say, let me talk to mommy. So kids, have you chosen the good this past week? Kids? <laughs> I'm looking at kids. Or have you chosen bad? Well, Let's continue on. Moses says, If you choose the good, there's blessing. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, and instead you're drawn away and you choose the bad, you worship other gods and you serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. So it's, it's a choice that Moses gives to the Israelites, but more so than that, it's consequences. He's telling them you can choose however, however you want, good or bad. In the end, there are consequences to our choices. If you choose good, there's blessing. If you choose bad, you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. This is where the world, the postmodern mind, does not like the Christian message. Why is it that if I choose bad, I will be punished? Why would God punish us for choosing bad? 
But I think what's being said here, you can say that God's punishing you, but there's another way to look at it. Whether you believe in God or not, there is consequences for poor choices. You can blame God. God is punishing me for my poor choices. But that gets us back to our original proposition. I thought you said God didn't exist. If God doesn't exist, why are there consequences for my poor choices? So the reality is, whether we blame God, whether we blame nature, whether we blame science, whatever we blame in the end, we are the ones that make the choice. In the end, we are the one that pulls the trigger. Whether we chose good or bad, we cannot blame God. There is only one we can blame, ourselves. We chose the consequences. Uh, the consequences are results of our own choices. Let me just finish this out. In verse 19, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death. I've set before you a choice, blessing and curse. So, friends, listen. Choose life. You hear the words of Moses? Choose life. I'm not going to be around here to harp on you forever. Choose life. Choose life that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. This is your life and the length of your days, that you may live, that you may live, in, the, that you may live in Houston, which the Lord swore to your fathers for a long time that you may live for a long time with God's blessing, that you may live in the promised land is what he's saying. So you can see that what's offered is not a constraining kind of thing. It's, it's a choice. If you choose the good, blessing will come. You will live long in the land that God has given to you. If you choose not wise, then there's only, there's only the consequences of our poor choices. To illustrate this thing about choice, and this is where I know I'm going to get, get the kids uh, fully, their full attention, I have a clip that I'd like to show, and this clip shows us about how free choice works. I originally heard this story, and it spoke to me very, very profoundly, but I thought that a clip would, it would show it better, and so I searched it up and found exactly what I was looking for. It's an old National Geographic clip about how to catch a monkey. This is how kids are like, what? How to catch a monkey. Watch this brief clip. First, he laboriously drills a hole in a giant ant heap when he is sure a baboon is watching him because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool. But he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. If he had the sense to drop the seed, he could free his hand. Ah, 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 ah. 
now he lets go when it's too late. <laughs> the kids' faces are awesome. They're complete, like, taking notes. <laughs> so cute. Um, children, was that monkey free? What do you think? Vivi, was that, ch- was that monkey free? You don't have to answer. What do you guys think? Was it free? I mean, what, were there chains holding the monkey down? Was there a cage? All that monkey had to do was let go. What a powerful metaphor for sin. You are free to choose but you ensnare yourself when you decide not to let go, when you cannot let go. God gives us a choice to choose the good. We suffer because we want to hold on. We suffer because instead of letting go of the bad, we choose to hold on and we lose the good. That's how sin works. Are you holding on to something? Let it go. It's so hard, isn't it? It's so difficult. Whether it's a resentment or whether it's something that's bothering you or whether it's something that's tempting you, that thing of just, I won't, I can't let go. You are free to choose, and God blesses your choice, that is, your good choices. But in the end, remember, keep in mind that our poor choices are the very thing that trap us. We suffer. Because we won't let go. So that's the first answer. I think that's, very, that's a very good representation of Christian theology on sin. And the thing is, I, everybody here, I believe, is pretty much a Christian. Um, but if this room were full of agnostics and atheists, I'm trying to picture right now, if all of you did not believe in Christ, then I would say to you, Christianity doesn't constrain you. It doesn't create complexes. We create our own. We create our own conflicted interests when we know we shouldn't have something. And Christianity doesn't tell you that you shouldn't have it. I mean, it provides a moral basis, but in the end, we suffer for our own poor ethical choices, which in the end, we're suffering ourselves under a God that we don't even believe in. So, let go. You have a choice. That's the first answer. But the second answer follows closely on the heels of this first answer. So how does the Bible deal with sin? It gives us a choice. But secondly, gives us exactly what we want. You think that, like, you know, let's say, you know, I'm about to commit a sin. I'm about to um, eat the forbidden chocolate or something. Like, let's say you're not supposed to eat chocolate. And you're like, I really don't want to eat the forbidden chocolate, so God, please strike me dead. Strike me, strike me down. Not dead. Strike me down. God, keep me from eating the forbidden fruit. I don't think God does that. I think God says, hey, man, or woman, it's your choice. If that's what you want, it's what you want. I'm not interested in keeping you from behaviors. I don't think the God of Christianity is interested in keeping us from the things that we want. I think the God of Christianity is more interested in our heart. 
and our motivations and our desires. If you want the forbidden fruit, you will get the forbidden fruit. Wild horses will not keep you from the forbidden fruit. We are creatures of desire. That's how this works. It's not about morality. We think it's about morality. It's essentially about motivation. It's about desire. Romans chapter 1, don't pull that up on the screen, please, because it's kind of the words Paul uh, speaking here is a little, it's a little graphic. It's heavy. What I will say instead in Romans 1 verses 24 to 28, you have this repeated phrase again and again, God gave them over. God gave them over to their bad choices. It's what, they, it's what they wanted. So God gave them over. Three times it's repeated. God gave them what they wanted. God gave them what they wanted. God gave them over. And that word in the Greek, paradokin, it, it, it means to surrender. We're the ones that should be surrendering. But instead, God is the one that surrenders and says, if that's what you want, go ahead. If that's what you choose, it's your choice. He yields up or He gives us over. It's not about this forbidding. It's not about this kind of preventative thing that God says, oh, don't do that. I'm going to rescue you. God says, if that's what you want, then you must learn. I'm not trying to use, you know, reverse psychology on you or anything. It's simply saying, I'm more interested in your heart. I'm more interested in your heart than I am in controlling you. How many of you think God likes robots? I don't think God's interested in robots. I think God is interested in human beings with a free will and choice who will freely of their own volition serve and choose the good. But if we decide to choose what is not good, then he says, well, I can't stop you because that would be the supreme act of disrespect. I can't stop you because that would be to disrespect you. I respect your freedom. I respect your choice. And therefore, he lets us have what we want, even if it's not good. Watch this clip that shows people giving, being, somebody being given over to exactly what they want. And that shows the result. If I can pull up that next clip. Oh boy, my chocolate must be untouched by human hands. Ah! You drown! He can't swim! I think he has. 
So who said you can't preach apologetics to kids? Did that boy get what he wanted? Yes or no? Was it good for him? Yes or no? It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Did Willy Wonka here prevent him from getting what he wanted? He warned him of the consequence. Well, I don't know if he warned him of the consequences. God warns us of the consequences. Maybe Willy Wonka should have said there's a huge vacuum-sucking machine that will pull you up. But the boy suffered exactly what he wanted. It's exactly what he wanted. And he suffered the consequences. Does God control us? Does God take away our choices? He respects us way too much. God respects us as human beings way too much. He gives us our choice and free will in the matter. And so number one, God gives us a choice. Number two, God gives us exactly what we want. And that leaves us with the third and last answer. This is kind of scary. If God just says, I give you freedom, how do I make the right choice? Because knowing myself, I will consistently choose chocolate. I will consistently choose the bad over the good. How do I become what I want to become? How do I become somebody? I mean, I wish sometimes God could make it easy and just make me a robot, make me do what He wants me to do. But the thing is, then I'd be a robot. I wouldn't be myself. I wouldn't be in a relationship with God. So how, how do we do what we want to do? How do we choose the good? And this leads to the third and last answer about how the Bible deals with sin. It gives us a choice, gives us what we want, and in the end, the Bible gives us a new heart. God gives us a new heart. That's the third and last answer. It's not behavioral change. It's a heart change. And on this, I want to show you this third and last clip that I won't say much about, but I'll just say it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Go ahead and pull that up. don't know where that's from, that's from the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's the story of Eustace. Um, I can't remember which movie that is. I think it was the second one. Does anybody know? Sorry? It was the last one. Eustace is a young child who is just incorrigible. That means he's just a really, really bad kid. Bad kid. 
And one day, he becomes a dragon. It's a metaphor for what happens. His heart is not good. Eventually, his outside comes to reflect his heart. And that's why you see this Eustace, he's scratching. The dragon is scratching at his chest. It's a powerful image that I can't change. And I'm trying so hard to be a better person. And you can, when you read the book, you can see that this dragon tries to become a better person. Tries. He doesn't want to be a dragon anymore. No child wants to be a dragon. But he tries to change, but can't. He tries to change. And in the end, is stuck on a beach. His old dragon self, unable to change. Unable to become a little boy again. Unable to become a little boy. There's this beautiful passage in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, that talks about this. Where God speaks to Israel. He speaks to us and He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. Translated from the Hebrew, what's what's being communicated here is your heart of stone Your dragon heart, I will change it so that you will have a heart of flesh once again. You will have a human heart because you're no longer human. You're a monster. You're a stone golem. You're a robot. And instead of a robot following the good, following, you're a robot that just follows and marches to the beat of poor choices, bad choices. What God says is, I can change hearts. And I will remove the heart of stone. You hear that? The heart of stone from your body. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a human heart again. Do you know what it's like to become a dragon? I was once a dragon. Well, not really. But when I was a bad person and I chose and I consistently made bad choices, I became like a dragon. I became like somebody that just couldn't change. And I couldn't scratch away the dragon skin. I wanted to become a little boy again. And when God came into my life, like the, like the great lion, like Aslan, he pawed at the ground. You could see that tearing away the dragon skin. And making me into a boy. Making me into a human being, once again. Friends, the gospel, again, I'm speaking as if, just imagining, none of you are Christians. I would say, the gospel is not about changed behavior. The gospel is about changed hearts. It's when a human being, Christian or otherwise, even not, an atheist, still understands what it's like to say, I do the things that I don't want to do. I hate it when I do that. I'm so sorry. I know that I can be a terrible human being. I can't change. How do I change? The gospel is about the heart change that occurs. When we kneel before the lion, the great lion, Aslan, when we kneel before God, he says, I will put my spirit within you. This is the mechanism. How is it that I can become a different human being? How is it that I can become a different person? Even if I'm not a Christian, how do, I, how do I become a different person? It is by one means. I will put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit, 
through faith in Christ, is the means living within us that gradually transforms the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And I just have to read the rest of this. I put my spirit within you and I will cause you. I will cause you, not control you. This is philosophical here. I won't control you, but I will cause. I will be the first cause in your life, the prime mover, the one that gives you the inspiration to choose the good instead of the evil. I will cause you to walk, listen to this, in my statutes. How do we become ethical, law-abiding people? It's the Holy Spirit that becomes a causal influence in our lives. And therefore, you will be careful to observe my laws, and my ordinances. Do you see the path to becoming somebody that is an ethical person, a good child? How do you become a good person? What's the answer? What did I say? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes your heart by influencing, by causing you to choose the good. That is probably the best I could do to explain our theology of sin. So if I can recap in conclusion, how does Christianity, how does the gospel explain sin? It doesn't say shame on you. It doesn't say naughty, you're bad. It doesn't tell you what's good and say, well, just figure it out. It doesn't leave us alone. Christianity teaches us how to choose the good in three ways. Number one, it gives you a choice. Isn't that so dignifying? It's dignifying. You have a choice. I'm not going to tell you or change you, rather. I'm not going to change you to do what I want you to do. You have a choice. Secondly, it gives you exactly what you want. If craziness and acting out and bad behavior is what you want to do, and in the end, choosing hell, there is not a person in hell that doesn't want to be there. That doesn't want to be there. You can have all of the hell and all of the poor choices that we want. It gives us exactly what we want. But third and last, it gives us a new heart. The gospel gives us a new heart and gives us the ability to change. If I can just close with one last story. When I was a child, I made a lot of poor choices. I did things. I acted out in a lot of ways. When I was about 13 years old, I became a Christian. There was somebody that shared the gospel with me that put his arm around me. And I remember the moment when I first felt God changing my dragon heart into a little boy's heart again. And I remember the hot tears that rolled down my cheeks when I felt for the first time in my life, <laughs> well, that my parents loved me. <laughs> but I felt, I don't even know what it was. It was like a primal cry, something deep within myself that recognized this is love. It was like the great lion scratched away my dragon skin. 
and it was only the beginning. I still have parts of myself where there are scales. You guys know what I mean? Sometimes I still have dragon claws. I have to clip them back. I have to clip them back. Sometimes I still have dragon horns. Did you know that? I can feel it on my head. The dragon horns are coming out. Whenever I, whenever I act out or grumble or, you know, give the kids and my wife a piece of, the mi- of, of my mind, they'll say, your, your dragon horns are coming. They can say that, right? The scales are still there, but each day the Holy Spirit renews me, and I can feel the horns, they're gone. I can feel the scales. I'm a lot less scaly. I can feel I don't have to trim my nails back as much. I can feel the Holy Spirit transforming me from within in this causal way, causing me to choose the good, causing me to choose the good. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for the new heart that He gives to us all. Amen. Let's pray. Nice and short, concise today. Kids, I have a question for you. All right, you know what we're going to do? Mom and dad, close your eyes. All right, so I'm just talking to kids. Don't worry, mom's not watching. Mom's not watching. Dad's not watching. Tell me the truth. Do you ever feel like you're acting like a dragon? Like you're being a little bit naughty? Raise your hand. All we have are angels here? Okay. Maybe inside you say, yeah, I do feel like a dragon sometimes. Sometimes I do act out. Do you know how to change? I mean, you're probably too young. How about this? Kids, let me ask you, do you know, have you ever seen mom act like a dragon? (laughs) How about dad? Have you ever seen dad? Act like a real, like you can see dad's horns sticking up through his hair. <laughs> Do you know that God can change mom and dad? Do you know that mom can transform mom and dad's heart? Do you know that mom and dad can't change mom and dad's heart? Do you know that only the gospel, that only the Holy Spirit can cause us to become beautiful creatures, humans once again? Close your eyes, everybody, young and old. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, and you have already, but sometimes we need to invite and say, I need you more. I need you again. If you need help to become that which you want to become, this famous prayer, help me to desire what I desire, then I ask you, you can just hold your hands out like this. You see? Like this. This is saying, gimme, I need. And you can say, Holy Spirit, please fill me now. Holy Spirit of Christ, fill me. Help me to do what I want to do. Help me to even want what I want. Because right now, I don't want what I know I want. I just want to do bad. Holy Spirit, Help me to desire what I desire. Holy Spirit, help me to choose what I know I want to choose. 
I want it. I know I, it's not even a matter of, of changing my mind. I want the good. I know I want good. But I can't seem to choose what I really want. Help me. Cause me, as it says in Ezekiel, cause me to walk in your laws. Cause me so that tomorrow or even after church today, when I walk out the doors and I see good and I see evil, cause my heart to say, more than anything, I want the good. I'm so tired of the bad. And I can't seem to scratch this dragon's skin off anymore. And I'm scratching, but I can't get rid of the dragon. Oh, great Christ, the Lion of Judah, tear away the dragon's skin. Make my flock, my congregation, to be who they want to be, the ethical people, the beautiful people. At home, in our houses, help us to be good parents. Help us to parent well, especially this summer. It can be hard. Help me, Lord, as I go to work tomorrow and I face things that just, man, they bother me. But help me to make the right choice. Help me on the job at work to do the good. Help me, Lord, as I live my life on my own. So many times where there are choices before me that are not good, but it's because of you. It's because of you I can say, I'll, I'll, I'll live a life of moderation. I'll live a life of good choices. Then help me, help me to make good choices, Lord. Even when nobody's looking, help me to make good choices, God. So I ain't proven it to nobody. I'm just a transformed child of God. So Lord, bless this, my flock, now I pray, my congregation, so that we, as a people of God, can grow up, knit it together as a blameless community before you, ethical choice, ethical people, good choice makers, dragons, or maybe I should say reformed dragons. Bless the youngest, youngest among us today. Thank you, even if it's just for the summer as we worship together. And a lot of people are out. Bless those who are not with us at this time. Keep them safe in their travels. Thank you for the chance, these special moments to worship with our kids. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.